This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spend half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life even now as a media creator and beer professional. This is what gave birth to Mountain Sea Media, the stories that impact our lives and give meaning to our business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to episode 52 of Good Beer Matters. There's probably breweries in 10 or 12 African countries, microbreweries, I mean craft breweries. And it's only in the past few years that, that uh, South African brewers have, have started to say, hey, we need to have our own identity. And it was just this goosebumps moment that this is happening now in Africa. It's, it's a thing. Craft beer is a thing. It was great. For a travel writer who has lived in different parts of the world, settling down in one place for a length of time makes a statement. When that person becomes both a beer writer and educator in South Africa's emerging beer culture, she makes yet a different and even more profound statement. I've never been to South Africa, but when I consider it, I think of Nelson Mandela cooking around a braai and surfing the perfect wave at Cape St. Francis. But I generally don't think of craft beer. All that is changing as South Africa is becoming known for hops and an emerging craft beer culture. My next guest is a writer on a mission to tell the stories of South Africa's craft beer movement and to educate others in her country about the abundant and nuanced world behind every beer. My name is Jeremy. I'm a certified Cicerone, BJCP judge, IBD certified brewer, and a beer writer. I believe the art, the science, and the culture of beer has more of a profound effect on us than we realize. I believe there's a world of wisdom found in every glass, and I intend to get to the bottom of it. This is Good Beer Matters. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. I hope you enjoy episode 52 of Good Beer Matters with beer writer and certified Cicerone, Lucy Korn. talk to you. Uh, you're coming all the way from uh, South Africa, and and you are a certified Cicerone. You're a writer. You're an editor. You're a, uh, an educator on beer. Uh, uh, I'm, just, I'm just so grateful that you came on to this podcast to share with us everything that's going on in your part of the world. No, it's my absolute pleasure, you know, to, uh, we're very isolated down here, so the chance to chat beer with someone in another, another country on another continent, continent is, is great. Wonderful. Um, uh, will you, let, let's just start out, will you tell us, uh, introduce yourself, and will you tell us a little bit about your beer background? Yeah, um, so um, I'm originally from the UK, but I've been living in South Africa now for 10 years. And my arrival here coincidentally coincided with basically the, the, the birth of, of craft beer in South Africa. I'd actually been living in South Korea before I came here. And we'd, actually, we'd seen the craft beer uh, scene take off in South Korea. Um, and it was actually in South Korea where I really kind of got my, 
my beer awakening, if you will. I'd always been a beer drinker. You know, I grew up in the UK. It's very normal that you that you drink beer. Um, but I was a lager drinker. I, I never really kind of explored different styles. Then in South Korea, um, my my then boyfriend, now husband, started homebrewing, and we got involved with the homebrewing club. I always tell this story, but it's, I don't know. It's just it's like it was meant to be. Um, he he looked up the homebrewing club, and we lived outside Seoul. I'm not sure the population of Seoul, but it's like 15 million people or something. And he says to me, "Do you recognise this guy?" So it's the guy who runs the homebrewing club, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's the guy with the dog." So this guy in a city of 15 million people lived in our building. <laughs> nobody nobody knew knew this guy's name. They all knew his dog. He had this amazing golden retriever, and it was just insane. He lived in our building, so we went to meet him and. Um, his signature beer was called Death by Hops, and it was an imperial IPA. And I'd never had, um, like, an American-style IPA. I'd never had, I don't think I'd ever had a beer with American hops before, and it was this amazing wow moment. Like, what have I been drinking until now? Why have I been wasting my time on these other beers? So it was, like, this very, very clear moment. Then when we moved to South Africa, we we traveled here before, and we could just see that craft beer was about to be a thing here. So we kind of just dived in. I was I was a travel writer before, and I was thinking of getting maybe involved in wine writing or, or food foodie stuff. And then it was like, oh, nobody's writing about beer down here, so I'll I'll try that. And it's just taken over my life completely in a good way. How fortunate! And and I. I... I feel similarly has taken over my life, and even my kids know that uh, Daddy's going to talk about beer all day long. Um, but y- you just kind of uh, the environment and the timing just seem to collide perfectly for you. Yeah, I mean it was because now, for example, two of the biggest festivals just had their tenth editions, and one of them I've been there for all ten um, festivals. And it's like, no, I'm not from South Africa, and I'd only just moved here. But it just so happened that I was—I I moved to South Africa um, maybe two or three weeks before the very first Cape Town Festival of Beer, and I've been to every single one. So, you know, it, it, it was extreme, just an extreme case of right place, right time. Oh, that's wonderful. What what year was this? Twenty ten. Twenty ten. Well, so so you moved to South Africa and you became a beer writer, but tell us more about your background and how that panned out. I, I know you're certified Cicerone and among other things, but uh, tell us how that all came to be. So, I mean, I studied journalism at university, always wanted to write, and I've been writing, I've been working for different travel publications and writing about travel for, uh, I don't know, a, a good a, a fair few years before I moved here. And then, um, you know, we've been living in Europe and then in Asia, and, and it's much easier to travel. You've got a lot more countries around you. You know, in South Africa, we right at the bottom of the continent. It's quite expensive to get anywhere. So I started looking for other avenues for writing. And like I say, I just kind of happened across, well, not happened across. I, we could see that, that beer was about to take off. And I thought, well, actually, I know more about beer than wine because my husband had been homebrewing and, you know, I was like helping out hold this, wash these bottles, that sort of thing. And um, I started writing a blog for a travel magazine here, and it was supposed to be about um, fun, boozy stuff you could do on the weekend, so maybe like a cool wine tasting or a whiskey experience or whatever. But they kept saying to me, listen, the biggest, the, all the hits are going to the beer stuff. Write more about beer. No one's writing about beer. Write more about beer. And then um, a photographer got in touch 
that I'd met at a, at a homebrew club meeting in, here in Cape Town. And he said, listen, I've got this idea for a book. And, you know, I'm looking for a writer. And I like the way you write. And so then I ended up doing a book. And this was back in 20, 2012. Um, and, yeah, so we did this book. And then from there, it just kind of took off. Uh, and everything else followed. It's so, it's so surreal, really, because 10 years ago, like as we speak today, 10 years ago, I didn't live in South Africa. Um, I was still in South Korea. Um, and if you'd said to me, hey, in 10 years' time, you're going to be still in South Africa and considered like a, a South African beer expert, I would have just laughed because, you know, at this point, I was just a, a passing beer enthusiast with a plan to go to South Africa for one year. So it's just, it's amazing where life takes you. It's, it's, it's cool, you know, you just, I'm just along for the ride to see what happens next. Well, and now you are an unofficial ambassador to South Africa from the, strictly from the lens of beer and probably other things as well. Uh, that is a kind of an interesting uh, yeah, I mean, uh, way things go. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy because uh, two years ago, um, I was in the States uh, judging in the World Beer Cup, and I was like the only person representing South Africa. Yeah, and you know, as you know, in the beer industry, that's like the Olympics. It's like, I'm representing South Africa in the beer Olympics. <laughs> and um, the same last year, I, I was judged in Brazil, and again, it was like I was the only person there from South Africa. So I like to think that at least in the beer community, they've adopted me as a, a, as a South African now. Well, and that is a great honor. My understanding is to be considered uh, to be a judge at the World Beer Cup, you have to apply, and then you have to wait for years and years and years before you're considered and, you know, God willing, accepted. But, um, but uh, I think you were able to get in there pretty quickly, and that, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I think I skipped a couple of steps. Obviously, being the only person from South Africa is probably um, a bonus. And then we've had a few conferences down here. We've had some very high-profile um, uh, beer celebrities, if you will, people like <laughs> John Palmer, for example, um, and Stan Hieronymus mm. um, and Randy Mosher. You know, have come down for conferences. And because that industry is very small, it's quite easy to then uh, get plenty of face time with, 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 the, with the speakers who come down. Um, and at the time, I asked a couple of those guys to, to help with references, which I'm sure didn't hurt. <laughs> it's true, of course, especially from those guys. So what was the book that you wrote? What was the name of it? Okay, so the, the, I've actually done two books now, but the first one was called um, African Brew. So at the time, so it was researched in 2012 and published in 2013. And uh, at that time, there were about, uh, around about 40 breweries across South Africa, microbreweries. Um, and then uh, two, was it two years, three years later, um, I did a, a sequel, which was called Beer Safari. So it was basically like the stories of the brewers. It was, it was planned out almost like, you know, with these really cool maps as a travel guide. So the idea was that you would go away for a weekend and plan your trip around beer. Um, and so it's, you know, the stories of how they got it, it, into beer and the kind of beers that they brew and, you know, the name behind the brewery and, and this sort of thing, just the, the backstories of the brewery. So when the second one came out, I think there were 110, which was two, two, two and a half years later. And then now we're a few years on from that. We're at about 220, 230 breweries. Oh, wow. So I, I, I need to another book, actually, just to, to update. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's kind of nice because you, uh, you kind of have a, um, 
you have a way of just writing more books because there's just more breweries coming up. And so, or you can redo them and just get into more detail, but uh, it's kind of like the book is writing itself for you. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. It's just moving too quickly for print media in a way, you know, we need to do an app or something, but we'll see, we'll see where that goes. Um, and so you've also become a certified Cicerone. You've also, uh, from the research I've done, you've also written for Lonely Planet. Um, uh, you are the editor and writer of ONTAP magazine, an online magazine, if I, if I understand correctly. Um, but you're also doing, uh, uh, teaching some beer education classes. Uh, have I left anything out? Um, couple of things, maybe. <laughs> so... Uh, I used to run the Home Brewing Club in Cape Town or be the president of the Home Brewing Club, which is not so much running as delegating to other people. Um, and I think that the other this sort of crucial thing is um, last year, um, I started the African Beer Cup. So, you know, you've got the various competitions in South America and World Beer Cup and, and the European Beer Star and all these things. And so my husband and I, and credit to him, it was his idea. Credit to him or blame to him, depending on how you look at it. Um, so we started the African Beer Cup last year. So it was the first um, really uh, prominent, big uh, pan-African uh, beer competition. So we have a couple of competitions that are just for South Africa. But, uh, you know, craft beer is starting to take off very slowly, admittedly, around the continent. And we wanted something that was really a, an African competition. So, yeah, last year we, we'd hoped for um, maybe 100 entries. And, and we were like, if we can just get one entry from outside, outside South Africa, we'll be happy. And so we ended up with about 150 entries from 11 different countries. So we were like super um, excited and really thrilled with how it went in the first year. So we're just coming up to our second year now. Obviously, things have been put on hold a little bit with the current global situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are still going ahead with the sec- with the second year of it this year. It's open to all breweries, so large and small. So um, SAB slash ABMBF won a few awards last year. Um, you know, Heineken, anybody who brews in Africa is eligible to enter. It's not a craft beer competition. It's a beer competition. So, yeah, that's my, that's my latest baby. Oh, wow. Uh, so you are a very busy woman. Um, uh, so, well, I'm going to use that, uh, your, your description of the, uh, African beer cup. Uh, I want to learn a little bit more about just, uh, the, the state of in, in particular craft beer in, in, in Africa, let alone South Africa. What, where, where are we today in, in beer culture there? So, um, very much, uh, in the embryo stage, let's say. There's probably, I don't have stats in front of me right now, but there's there's probably breweries in 10 or 12 African countries, microbreweries, I mean craft breweries. Um, most of those countries have one or two. Um, the next sort of epicenters, if you will, is going to be Kenya. So there's probably five or six now in Kenya. And then Nigeria, at the moment, there's only one or two, but I think because Nigeria is quite a powerhouse economy, that's going to be the next kind of, the next area. But there are breweries in Ghana, in Namibia, Botswana, um, Zimbabwe, where else? Mauritius um, and Tanzania, one or two others that I'm sure I'm forgetting off the top of my head. Um, but it's very much, uh, it's, it's often, um, they're basically brew pubs. 
um, destination breweries, you know, it's like you must come to us. Maybe they bottle a little bit and send it out. A lot of the ones in Kenya are producing mainly lagers, um, which is exactly what happened in South Africa for the first five years of our craft beer scene. The majority of the beer produced, and still the majority of beer produced from craft brewers is actually uh, pale lagers. Um, but yeah, you see, so you see some really interesting stuff. It was so the, the, the my favorite moment from from the African Beer Cup last year. So I obviously don't judge in it because I'm organizing it. And I, I just remember bringing out this beer to the table and being able to say that this is a, um, an American-style IPA with mango and sorghum that's from... Uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think... I don't think... I didn't tell them where it was from, actually, because we just, you know, you just give the description of the beer. Inside, I'm like, and it's from Nigeria, and it's... It, it, bring these amazing, like... You know, quite, we we had sort of big uh, imperial stouts using sorghum and then like uh, locally roasted and locally grown coffees and things like this. And it was just this um, goosebumps moment that this is happening now in Africa. It's it's a thing. Craft beer is a thing. It was great. Uh, and, I, and I'm sorry, just a little bit of that cut out, but uh, it sounds like that uh, just saying that you know we've got this uh american style ipa uh, with uh, these local uh or endemic ingredients that that was just kind of a uh, kind of an awakening moment did i did i understand that correctly yeah, yeah yeah exactly it was just this moment that makes you say wow craft beer is now a thing you know it's a thing everywhere it's a thing across africa and it's small you know and it's 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 in its in its very early stages but it's it's interesting because these are um, how, how can I these are I'm just, like it's it's a craftier scene that's obviously um, able to learn from the states and from the UK and from Italy you know it's it's sort of following trends so um, the craftier um, scenes in South Africa they're moving very quickly you know so. Like for us, for example, in South Africa, we had years and years of like lager and Blondale and then maybe a vice and a stout. That's what breweries were doing. And it took a long time for people to start um, experimenting. But now in, in Nigeria, it's like, okay, we're going to do a pale ale. We'll do a pale ale. We're still doing a pale ale. Okay, cool. Now we're throwing in an imperial stout with Nigerian coffee. Boom. Let's <laughs> do this. So it's actually progressing very, very quickly. Albeit on a small scale. And and do you find that um, if if I am if I understand what you are saying, kind of in a general sense, that uh, there uh, brewers there are taking a lot of lead from the U.S. and and like you said, Italy and and the U.K. from all these other uh, countries that are uh, known for beer, and Italy is becoming known for beer as well. But um, but are it sounds like they're really starting to try to create their own versions of their own style or really pay um, a tribute to the endemic ingredients and, and flavors that are more meaningful and, and more um, widespread in, in those local areas. Do I understand that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so for quite a while in South Africa, it was very much uh, a lot of, there's a, um, a lot of uh, breweries doing German style, for example. So a lot of vice beer, um, a lot of, not so much the stronger beers like the box, but a, a lot of, um, say, Hellas and that sort of thing. Um, and then, obviously, a lot of people trying to do American pale ales and American IPAs. 
English styles are not popular in South Africa at all. Um, I'm not entirely sure why. I think people associate English beer with being flat and warm in South Africa incorrectly, of course. But so the English styles are not popular. Belgian styles also being sort of have been mimicked or, or used as inspiration. And it's only in the past few years that that uh, South African brewers have, have started to say, "Hey, we need to have our own identity." And there's been kind of three uh, approaches. So um, one is using all South African ingredients. So we do produce malt in South Africa and we do grow hops. Um, and there is a company now that's been isolating wild yeast from the local environment. So it's possible to brew a completely South African beer. And then some people um, were looking at endemic ingredients. So there's, there's a, a, a huge... Um, Basically, in the, the Western Cape, which is the province where Cape Town is, um, it has it has one of the world's six floral kingdoms. So there's this amazing amount of of endemic uh, plant life. A lot of which is very sort of fragrant. Uh, so people using that in beers, and then the other way is trying to take inspiration from traditional African beer. The traditional African beer is very much like the sort of stuff we read about in history books. You know how beer started in Mesopotamia or Egypt or wherever beer started, you know, it's always up for debate. It's very thick and porridge-like, it's completely opaque, it's flat, it's low in alcohol, it's grainy, and people are try trying to use that, so the main ingredients are maize and sorghum, and so people are trying to adapt that into craft beers. And we've seen this in other African countries as well, that people are using sorghum uh, a lot, um, and millet and maize. Um, in Ghana, there's a brewery that uses exclusively malted sorghum in their beers. The beers are 100% malted sorghum, and they're really sort of leading the way on that. So yeah, it's it's people are trying, really trying to forge an African craft beer identity, which is very cool. I think that's uh, actually you know pretty killer. Um, now we we have a lot of uh, beers over here, especially that uh, beers that are intended to be. Uh, gluten-free by design that will use sorghum. Um, in my experience with those beers, or with at least sorghum anyway, uh, is it comes across as just very uh, neutral, earthy, and almost kind of a pasty uh, flavor. Um, how is that manifesting over uh, where you are? I mean, are, are there are you getting better flavors or other flavors from the different um, use of sorghum there? Yeah, I think it depends um, a lot on the style. So I, I have had a couple of, um, of gluten-free beers when I was last in the States that used sorghum. And, you know, I bought them specifically because they used sorghum, and I brought them back with me as a you know to do a tasting. And um, so, so the the best, um, I wouldn't say sorghum-based. You see, a lot of the guys here are using sorghum in addition to malt because sorghum itself doesn't have a huge amount of flavor um, or at least it certainly doesn't have as much flavor as, as malted barley. Um, but the beers that have been really successful with sorghum, the style, I should say, that's been really successful is Saison. And there's a couple of breweries. There's a brewery in Cape Town called Ukamba, which is um, operated by a, a guy who's originally from Zimbabwe, and he wanted to bring traditional beer and craft beer together. And he always, when he first tasted Saison, he, it reminded him a little bit of traditional, you know, of, of, of traditional African beer. And so he thought, well, maybe this is where I can use sorghum. So his beer is 40% sorghum and 60% uh, malted barley, if I remember rightly. Uh, but it really, it seems to, 
to work well in this style. And when I've had it in sort of pale ales and blonde ales, you know, it's kind of not as good as using malted barley. So I think it's a matter of really understanding the, the base product and somebody who's kind of grown up with it and grown up, you know, using sorghum, whether it's in beers or in porridge or whatever, is going to have a better understanding of that. So we're we're getting there with the use of of, um, of sorghum and beers. Well, and that's interesting too. I've tried to teach people that uh, just from a pure flavor standpoint, whether we're talking about beer or sorghum or barley or wine or anything else, is don't think about flavors as either good or bad. Just think of them as as exactly what they are and, and try to consider how can you apply them uh, to their best potential? How can you pair them with something else to kind of synergize? Um, and so I, I, I hate to say that, uh, oh, I don't like beers with sorghum. It's just I haven't found the, the, the flavors that make it connect. But from what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, these uh, brewers in Africa who are used to using sorghum are finding better ways to use it in a more palatable uh, flavor profile, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, they're trying to up the, the percentage, but little by little. So there was um, a brewery in Cape Town called Afro-Caribbean. They actually did a, a collab. Garrett Oliver came down last year for a conference. And um, and they were doing a collab with him, and he said he particularly wanted to focus on African grains. It's something he's been very interested in. And so they did a couple of test batches, and then they also did a sorghum saison. Mm. Um, and then afterwards, the same brewery they, they upped. So I think they did like maybe fifty fifty sorghum and um, and barley, also barley obviously. And then they, you know, Garrett had gone back home, and then they were they were continuing to experiment. And then they went up and they they did a hundred percent sorghum batch. Uh, which you know, but but brewed as as so in Africa, it's beers are referred to, or at least in South Africa, it's referred to as, as traditional beer or clear beer. So clear beer is what you and I know as as beer, because traditional beer is not clear. It's it's completely opaque and thick, and you know it's, it's a completely different beast. So anyway, this brewery tried to to produce a clear beer with 100% sorghum. It was not an entirely successful. Um, <laughs> Experiment, but you know the 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 goal is to try and marry uh, craft beer, clear beer, whatever you want to call it, with traditional beer and come up with something. There's actually a, a brewery in the Winelands region. Uh, it's run by an American guy. Uh, he used to be involved in breweries in the states, and he's got very interested in traditional African beer. And at the moment, so his his brewery specialises in wild ferments and barrel aged beers. And at the moment, he's got a beer in barrel that's a blend of his, like, house, uh, um, I'm trying to think what he calls it, but it's a, it's a wild fermented beer anyway. And and then it's blended with, um, so instead, it's called Umkomboti with the click. I never get that right, but it's close, mm. <laughs> which is the, the sorghum beer, the traditional beer. So he's now got a blend of his house um, wild ferment with the traditional African beer which is going to be available in a couple... It's the first time anybody's done this, so who knows what it's going to end up like, but it's just, it's very cool that people are experimenting like this. Well, and I, I want to use what you just said as another little, like, jumping-off point to circle back around to something you said before, but, um, you know, you being a uh, a prolific traveler and therefore a travel writer and a, now a beer travel writer, I, I'm just, I am completely enamored with the idea of... of 
traveling to different places and instead, you know, we can go um, food traveling and try food from different parts of the world. We can go to museums and we can do all the typical stuff that you expect a traveler to do, but you can also do the same thing and get a sense of place and people by tasting their beer. And what you're describing is, is just really getting an understanding of of the terroir of the area of of the people the land and 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 everything that goes into it of just tasting what what this guy is is making even though he's american i mean he's he's doing something very african and and um i i i want to circle back around and explore about what you're talking about how all the brewers are deciding we want to make this our own what are you seeing emerge that's different from the common styles So, um, I mean, one of the things that's really setting them apart is these the um, the endemic um, plant life that's being used. I have plant life, not a very good word, but so there's um, a uh, I'm not quite sure how to describe it, but a a, a species or um, oh, I'm terrible with this kind of this kind of language. Excuse me. Um, anyway, it's called feinbos. So it's a kind of um, of vegetation, um, it means it means fine bush. It's got like little, little um, thin sort of needly uh, um, instead of you know needle needle like leaves, and it covers with like hundreds or maybe even thousands of, of different species within this this um, this branch of you know, it's called feinbos. So a lot of the feinbos is very um, fragrant. And so people have been doing a lot of experimentation. Now, this stuff, so there's one particular plant called buhu, which is, it literally grows in a, in a very small area in one province. And that's it. That's the only place in the world that it grows. Um, and it's a very pungent um, plant. So the first time, in fact, I've been in South Africa about a week when I first tasted, we went to a homebrew club meeting and this guy handed me a, a, a beer and he said, oh, it's a pale ale with buhu. And I was like, I, I tasted it. I'm like, I don't know what buhu is, but it does not belong in beer. <laughs> so as it turns out, this guy, he, he later um, developed his recipe with a microbrew. So of course he was a homebrewer. He was doing a 20 liter batch. And, and then he later um, developed it with a small microbrewery that was doing 200 liters. And they ended up using less in the 200 liters than they originally used in the 20 liters. He got his, he got his measurements a little off. Um, this plant is really potent. It's very much like in, in large doses, it's like um, mental eucalyptus. You know, it's just clears your sinuses. But in smaller doses, it's um, some people pick it up as minty and some people pick it up as like black currant. But it, it's just unusual and distinctive. And if you can get it right in a beer, and a couple of people have got it right, you know, it's really, it's like nothing else you've tasted anywhere else. So that's one of the, the, the you know, this trying to experiment with these endemic plants. You know, it's like, it's extremely South African because they literally don't grow anywhere. Um, one, another one that people might be more familiar with is Robos, the Red tea, red. I don't. I don't know what it, how it's referred to overseas, but it's you know an antioxidant uh, tea, and it's like hugely popular everywhere in the world now. Mm-hmm. It grows in one tiny little place. It's the only place it grows. Now people have been trying to use that in beer because it is so very very South African. You know, it literally grows in this tiny little swatch of the mountains, 
Uh, unfortunately, as yet, in my opinion, no one's got it right. I love rooibos and tea and I love beer, but I don't like them in the same glass. <laughs> but if someone can just get it right, you know, then it's something that people really associate with South Africa and, you know, that, that people are proud of in South Africa. And if they can get that right in a beer, then it's going to be very cool. It's just I'm not entirely sure it belongs to beer. <laughs> Well, and, and I've, I've always been kind of curious to see uh, who is going to make uh, a beer with a little bit of wasabi, uh, just not not to really clear your sinuses, but just enough of that flavor to bring uh, something a little bit more of a food pairing type of beer with just a hint of wasabi, I think would be incredible. Um, but, you know, there, there are other places around the world that are doing that, too. They're taking just a style, um, a well-known style, and just kind of adding their own little twist. I mean, that's kind of what... That's what we do, and that's especially what American brewers are doing is just adding their own little twist to something. But um, you remind me of uh, uh, forget the uh, forgive the shameful plug, but one of the former uh, guests on the show, uh, Ola Brewing in uh, the Big Island of Hawaii. Uh, when I visited there, they had a Munich Dunkel that had uh, that had a little bit of a tea root, a ti, uh, just tea root in there, and it was spectacular. And I don't mm-hmm. know what tea root tastes like in and of itself. But this beer was just, just beautiful, um, and and I think that's an interesting thing that here they're making, and this is the thing I love about the beer world is it's it just all so connected and 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 just lovingly and gracious about it. But here they're making this Southern German dark lager style, but adding a little Hawaiian uh, uh, ingredient to it to to kind of bring these cultures together, and it's just incredible. No, I mean, I love it. I was um, I was in Brazil last year, and the thing, like, I've never been a huge, or I had never been a huge fan of, of the of the sour styles. You know, it was just something I couldn't quite get past. I, in the early days of the South African scene, I had so many sour beers that weren't meant to be sour that I really struggled with sour beers. You know, it was like, for me, it was a flavor that wasn't meant to be there. And then in Brazil last year, um, the, uh, the Caterina Sour, so I was mm. so excited when I realized I was judging some of these, these beers. So it's like, it's based uh, on a Berliner Weiss, mm-hmm. um, slight, slightly high, higher alcohol, you know, than a Berliner Weiss, but then using the um, the tropical fruits of the um, Santa Catarina region. I was so fascinating judging because they'd come and they'd say, oh, it's beer and it's with this. And we'd be like, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of this fruit because these fruits only grow in this area. And so they would actually bring us the fruit to the table to taste the fruit first before you taste the beer so you could tell whether it's, you know, sort of coming across well in the beer. And for me, this was like, um, you know, as you are saying, when you, you, you can travel for whatever reason, and you know, you travel around the world and you taste different foods. And this was, this was tasting different foods. It's just that they were in beer. And it was, it was just, I was so happy to be able to judge these beers. And that was it then. My whole trip for the rest of the time in Brazil was just t- trying to taste the Catarina Sour and learning about these different fruits. You know, and I think that's something that beer does really well that perhaps some other beverages don't do so well is, you know, the innovation and being able to use what's locally available and, you know, producing something different that sort of says, hey, this is where this is from. It's, it's awesome. So, uh, um, sorry, let me let me formulate my question. Um, since you've traveled <laughs> quite a bit and you've tasted beer from around the world, um, what are the biggest similarities and biggest differences you see uh, amongst just the brewing culture? I mean, because the brewing culture really is a worldwide, global um, kind of uh, 
uh, for lack of better words, fraternity, but what are the big differences and similarities you see? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> a difficult question. Um, similarities first. I mean, I think, I mean, one thing is wherever you go, you do tend to see people following um, the same trends. For example, New England IPA. Um, you know, so when when something becomes big, and usually when it becomes big in the states, because the states, you know, there's no there's no um, questioning that the states uh, leads the way in craftier innovation. Um, so, in a in a way, uh, it, it, for me, I feel like it's a bit of a shame sometimes when everybody, you know, because last year in South Africa, everyone's like, "Oh, New England IPA, New England IPA," and you're like, "No, no, but why don't you do what what you're good at?" Which is you know, maybe using our local ingredients or whatever. So I think that's a similarity that, you know, when something becomes big, then it was Brute IPA, but not to the same extent as the as the New England. You know, so people are kind of um, following trends. Um, another unfortunate similarity, I think, is that it doesn't matter where you go. Well, this is a, it, it can be good and bad. You have great breweries. Uh, producing amazing beer, and it doesn't matter where you are. You can be in South Africa or, you know, in a country where the beer culture has just started, or you could be in, in the UK or in the USA, and you're still going to find people who are jumping on the craft beer bandwagon, um, uh, who are, you know, are producing craft beer, and they don't really care that much about it, and the beers are kind of subpar, which is an unfortunate trend everywhere. Um and differences, I mean, yeah, I think the big difference, as we've discussed, is, is how people are trying to make, um, even if they're taking classic styles, they're trying to put a local spin on it. You know, whether it's using the endemic vegetation or using certain um, spices or fruits that are locally available or um, nodding to the local traditions or using, you know, like wasabi. <laughs> Maybe there is a brewery somewhere that's using wasabi. I don't know. We need to look that up afterwards. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want to taste that beer, though, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, and granted, you and I probably, and anyone listening knows that a little wasabi goes a long way, but but I, I, uh, I was sitting with my family uh, recently, and we were all... And I, I had a couple different beers. I was trying to figure. Oh, okay, let me back up. So I got together, family. We were all having uh, sushi, and and I brought uh, several different beers to to try and figure out. Okay, what pairs best with different kinds of sushi, and uh, especially a little bit of uh, soy sauce, a little bit of teriyaki, a little bit of a uh, wasabi, because this is what I do. Uh, and many, and you might be the same way. And, m- and many listeners will be like, "Oh, that makes perfect sense." You're going to go to this family function and bring a bunch of different beers to set in front of you to like taste which one works best. <laughs> and so I'm tasting this stuff, and as I'm as I'm adding just a little bit of wasabi, not too much, because I want the flavor and just a little bit of that um, sinus clearing uh, 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 feeling. Um, uh, it's kind of like there's a subtle art of getting just the right amount of wasabi, and and um, and so I started thinking about you know <laughs> this this flavor profile just of wasabi alone would be kind of an interesting complement to, I don't know, maybe something like a like an earthy uh, malty saison or, or just something that would just be really unexpected but could be kind of delightful, especially as a gastro ale or a food pairing beer. Um, 
And so I, I started thinking about stuff like this, but you know, we're talking about these people that are trying classic styles and experimenting with different ingredients. I, I think everything's on the table in that regard. I think you and I need to do like an international collab where we both we come up with a recipe and then we both try and brew a batch of wasabi beer and see how it goes. But if if uh, shipping uh, to each other wasn't uh, so expensive, I'd I'd say game on. <laughs> but uh, we we may have to talk <laughs> offline. That would be kind of maybe, an, it, maybe we just brew it and we taste it. We'll, we'll taste it separately together and compare notes. <laughs> that that would be kind of an interesting little um, experiment, especially for our respective uh, listeners and viewers uh, or readers. Um, we may have to talk offline after that. Um, but uh, Lucy, I do <laughs> I, I do want to talk, or I, I want to get you to talk a little bit about um, kind of more the business side of of uh, beer in um, South Africa, maybe Africa in general. But I mean, there we're ton of different countries so we can just keep it to South Africa but how is the beer system set up and 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 just the culture of, of big beer versus craft beer what is the state of things over there now so um so going first a big beer versus craft beer it's actually been very a very different um story I think that in in a lot of other countries so until 2016, um, South African breweries, SAB or SAB Miller, as it's perhaps better known, which were at the time the second largest brewing company in the world, had always been almost weirdly supportive of the craft beer industry. And some craft brewers were always very um, skeptical, like, what what do they want? Um, but, you know, SAB always maintained that, I mean, craft beer wasn't a... Um, a competitor for them. So to give you an idea, in South Africa, approximately 90% of the beer industry is, well, what was SAB and is now AB InBev. Um, around about 9% is, or maybe let's say 89% is um, AB InBev, SAB. Um, 10% is Heineken, and the remaining 1% is all the craft breweries together. So craft breweries pose no threat whatsoever in South Africa to, to big beer. And, um, you know, especially, in, particularly in the early stages of the craft beer scene, so SAB were really very supportive um, to the extent that the, the early beer festivals, um, SAB would sponsor them quite heftily to the tune that the craft brewers didn't pay for a stand. You know, they, they would go there for free because SAB was sponsoring this festival. And things like that, they, because the, the hop farms in South Africa are all owned by SAB. And the malting plant is also owned by SAB. And, um, you know, they'd always sold at a, a, what I believe in that, you know, the brewers always said it was a reasonable price. And they would once a year, they'd take a um, couple of groups of the brewers on this all expenses paid tour to the hop farms and the, and the, um, the malting plant and, you know, stay in hotels and, and have a nice, you know, couple of days drinking with their friends. So it had always been very, like a, a very pleasant environment. Um, things have changed since um, AB and Bev took over, but not not in a, there hasn't been, as yet there have been no buyouts by ABI. There have been two buyouts and one buy-in, if you will, from Heineken. So we, we haven't had that culture of, of um, big beer buying out craft breweries. So that sort of remains to be seen. It's just, there's a bit more distance now, you know, so big beer has kind of backed off. Um, and there's not the same 
camaraderie, I guess, that there was before. So that's of that part, I think. <laughs> hmm. That 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 sounds uh, expected, just just from the experience uh, yeah, on I mean, the other side of the world. Yeah, I mean, it, so so it was. It, people were always commented on how how strange it was. There's this nice relationship that the craft brewers used to have with SAB. And, and it's not now that the relationship is bad. It's just that there isn't a relationship, I think. In mm. terms of, like, the business side of things, uh, craft brewers here are struggling. Um, the the market in South Africa, it's very different. It's a very different demographic. Um, you know, South Africa has one of the biggest um, gaps between the poverty gap, you know, between the rich and the poor, uh, one of the biggest of any country. And this really plays out because craft beer obviously is a luxury product. And the majority of South Africans simply can't afford to drink it. So the the possible audience is much, much smaller. Um, Then there's all kinds of problems like getting shelf space and getting tap space. So um, I'm not sure how it works in in the States. In in South Africa, um, so most of the taps in a, a, if you go into your average bar, the taps are owned by SAB. We we also call it SAB in South Africa, but ABI, whatever. Um, But the taps are owned by them. And so obviously nobody else can put their beer through a Budweiser tap or through a castle with the big lager here. You can't put your craft beer through their tap. But then most of the time, bars and restaurants don't install their own taps. So a brewery has to go and install the tap, which is a very, you know, with the lines and the, the chill system and then the the maintenance of the light, it's a very expensive thing for a small brewery. So tap space is a real issue. There are there are a few, but a, a fairly small number of bars and restaurants that own their own taps. You know, and they can choose to put on whatever they like through their taps. Um, so that is a really big problem. And distribution is a really big problem. There are very few distributors and the ones that exist don't really understand craft beer and then the cold chain isn't kept. And so actually selling the beer is a, is a real issue. And then, of course, having the enough uh, potential audience to, to actually sell the beer to is a, is a big problem for them. So, but yeah, the guys are struggling. And so it sounds like um, uh, it sounds like you guys are in a state of not only does the general public uh, like you're saying, there's there's a lot of dynamics going where you have the very rich and the very poor as the general public, but the general public um, who will drink craft beer needs to learn more about it before they appreciate it, demand it. But there's a whole infrastructure that needs to be put in, uh, kind of rebooted to uh, facilitate that. Um, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, kind of how... I imagine things were in the U.S. before Prohibition, and, and the, at least the one good thing that came out of uh, Prohibition is we had no more tight houses. Um, distribution had to be a three-tier, or at least today, at, at the very least, a two-tier. Um, but these were set in place just so you didn't end up with problems like you're describing. Yeah, I mean, I, in, in a lot of ways, when we've had visitors come down from the States, you know, visitors who've been involved in the in the American industry for 20, 30 years, whatever, a lot of them have said it's like it's like a throwback um, in, in many ways to, you know, the 80s or early 90s in the States. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's a big problem because, the, like I say, the, the potential market is already quite small. You know, craft beer is not cheap in South Africa by, by any means. 
Um, and, you know, when you look at what people earn and how much a pint of craft beer costs, you know, it's like I, majority of people, you know, it's like either I can have one beer or I can have four beers. I'm going to have four beers, obviously. Mm. You know, that's, um, it's, it just makes sense. Um, and and then, you know, you, so you've got this small-ish small pool of, of, of potential customers. But then a lot of them, um, SAP reigned supreme for so many years. People are very brand loyal. You know, to the extent that, like, a lot of people don't even know that the four or five beers that they're choosing from are all from the same brewery. But it's like, you know, I drink this beer. This mm-hmm. is my beer. I don't like those beers. I drink this beer. Um, but, uh, same, same in other countries, I'm sure. Um and so you've got to you've got to convince those people that um, craft beer can be good. And of course, they're used to drinking only pale lager. So first, you've got to either lure them over with a pale lager, which is what a lot of the craft breweries did in the early days in South Africa, or you've got to you know. I mean, and I think that's a good way to say, hey, look, I we can, we can brew a good beer. Here's a beer you're familiar with. Taste it. It's you know, it tastes as good, if not better, than the one that you're used to. The other problem is that. Um, in the first few years, certainly, between sort of 2010, 2013, 2014, 2015, there was a lot of uh, crap beer, uh, you know, and, and, and it, it, it was overpriced and it was poorly made. And you had a lot of people who were like, oh, everyone's talking about craft beer. I'll go taste this. And I taste them like, oh, I don't like that. And I taste another one and, you know, they had bad experiences. And then it's like, well, why am I going to risk buying a beer that's, you know, two, three times the cost of what I'm used to when I might end up pouring it down the drain. So unfortunately, those those sort of subpar breweries have, you know, the quality has improved immensely in the past, say, three years. But some people were, were burnt by that and, and, you know, they're hesitant to try it again. So it's a real uphill battle for the for the craft brewers in South Africa. That's unfortunate. I mean, still to this day in the in the U.S., when we have every style and then some, and the quality is just... For, I mean, even the 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 least of all breweries in a beer town is are still usually pretty good, but I still hear people say, "Ooh, uh, ooh I don't like beer," um, or it's just too filling, or too this, too that. And and I, I when I have the opportunity to ask more questions, I do. But I imagine that many of those people, like you say, were burned by, "Oh, I want to taste this beer that everyone's raving about." Ooh, I I didn't like that, so therefore all craft beer is bad, and I'm going to go back to my wine spritzer or whatever it is. Um, mm. Yeah, that that that's that's a, a challenging uh, mountain to climb, uh, especially when someone has already uh, stepped foot and realized, "Oh, I don't want to do that." Yeah, I know. It's, it's difficult to bring those people back again, hey? So, I mean, at least now the, the majority of the breweries here are, p- are putting out a good product. But for some people, you know, they, they were perhaps hesitant to try it in the first place. They tried it and it didn't go well. Yeah. And I think also um, what, what happened in the early days especially, you know, if if you went straight from drinking the, the lager that you've drunk your entire life and then someone gives you an American-style IPA, and you, you're going to be like, what is this? Like, this doesn't, I, I used to hear it in beer tasting, but this doesn't taste like beer. You know, because it's, it's more flavorful and, it, and it's got it's sort of tropical food aromas and it's bitter, much more bitter, you know, and people are like, what is this? This isn't beer. Um, and, and, and so I think there's a, there's a way to go about trying to lure people over who are used to drinking 
you know, big beer lagers um, and saying, hey, fire IPA is not the way to go about it, especially especially here. I don't know about elsewhere, but I think that's why people, so, so one of our, um, one of our, the founding fathers, if you will, of the craft beer scene here, only dates back to 2007, I think it is. And they started off as a, as a contract brewery. It's called Jack Black. Now, they now have their own brewery. As luck would have it, about 950 meters from my house. And um, uh, they started with a lager. And they had they, they only did a lager for about, it must have been five years that all they did was the lager. And then, you know, people criticized them. But they won um, a lot of people over. And, and their... Uh, audience stretches far outside the sort of the, the beer nerds because you see the same people at every event in, in Cape Town at least you're the same it's great we've got this awesome community but it's like we need to widen the the net a little bit if crappy is ever going to be anything and Jack Black's done very well at um at capturing a, a wider audience and it's because they focus on their lager you know and then people are like I could trust this brew because I know what lager tastes like and this tastes good and then eventually they'll try their pale ale and their IPA or you know, it's it's a, a slow process. But they did well. They were bought into by Heineken a couple of years ago. So they've obviously done well. <laughs> oh, of course. So uh, it, as you look into the next five and ten years of uh, uh, craft beer in South Africa and even the rest of the continent, where do you see craft beer going? So that's a good question. Um a lot of people keep saying, you know, the bubbles burst and all that kind of thing and craft beer is dead in South Africa. And I, I disagree with that. Um, we're going through a bit of a, a consolidation phase at the moment. Um, so we had a couple of really big boom years between 2014 and 2016. And um, the number of breweries increased 50% per year. Um, and then in the past couple of years, we've had an increase of maybe 2%. Um, and it's not that breweries are not opening, but, you know, plenty are closing as well. Mm-hmm. However, the the figures that we don't have is how much beer is being produced. So we have figures, proximal figures anyway, of the number of breweries. But brewers are very hesitant to give up their production figures. And, you know, a number of breweries is not the best indicator of the industry. Uh, anecdotal evidence shows that the breweries that are surviving are producing more than they were. So I don't think the, the industry, I don't think we're going to see, I don't think we're ever going to go below 200 breweries now unless we have some prohibition or, I don't know, the current the current economic climate maybe is a bit of a worry. Um, but I think what we're going to see is um, a very gradual in- increase, but an increase in quality as well, because a lot of the breweries that are closing here are the ones that deserve to close, you know, that we're never really very passionate about the product in the first place. Um, so I think quality is going to to improve. I think it's very likely that we'll see some buyouts. Um, if we don't see buyout by ABI in the next year, I'd be very surprised, and probably more than one. Uh, that's going to shake up the industry and drive wedges between people. Um, and what, what I really hope is to see craft beer reaching a wider audience. Um, craft beer in South Africa, just like in the States, diversity problem. Um, and, you know, it, it needs to not have a diversity problem in order to, um, to, to survive. 
you know, um, to, to put it bluntly, I mean, I think 90-something percent of South African citizens are black, but probably 90% of craft beer drinkers are white, you know, and it, it, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So a lot of people are... Um, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult, you know, I mean, you, this this uh, being discussed all the time, the lack of diversity in craft beer, but what to do about it is a difficult thing. You know, and I, I don't think it's an inherently, I, I think it's actually a very friendly, welcoming industry. Um, it's just something that needs to, It's it takes time um, to sort of encourage more people to come in and, and drink. You know, in, in South Africa, it's, it's very much... Um, white men between the age of 25 and 45 basically you know when I go to a homebrew club meeting I'm the diversity because I'm a woman so this is something that, that South Africa is really trying to to um, work on and it's very difficult I mean you know I, we all know that advertising to women doesn't work you know I think it's just more a matter of, of being inclusive and showing that you're inclusive but yeah to, um, to thrive then South Africa's got to deal with the, the lack of diversity, otherwise it can't it can't ever get any bigger than it is already. That's a really good point. Because uh, beer, by its humble beginnings and by everyone's estimation, is is a common person's drink, and which is why it's not uh, as as uh, expensive as wine or just kind of different thing. But um, it sounds like uh, there it, there's still some more a lot more work to be done uh, just just from the beer front alone let alone everything else yeah I mean we've still we, we are very much like you know really we're, our industry's 10 years old so we're, 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 we're not even in our adolescence yet um, and we've we've uh, come a hell of a long way in 10 years you know like um, beer quality's improved just little things like the quality of labels and um, you know, people's marketing and and the and the tap rooms and and the amount of effort people put into that. You know, just like silly things like decor or whatever. Like the in the past in the past five years, it's just it's increased and improved so much. Um, you know, so I'm I'm very positive about the about the future. Um, I, I think we're we're on the right track. Uh, it's just the South African economy struggles at the best of times and we're not in the best of times so that is a bit of a concern I do expect we'll probably see more closures than last year um, but yeah we'll, we'll try and keep a positive outlook over it and um, the, the the innovation and the camaraderie in the industry is, is magnificent so let's focus on that I think well, and hopefully uh, with stories like this and you coming onto this podcast, anyone who's listening, uh, if they do travel to South Africa, if they have any influence in South Africa and, and, and in regards to beer, hopefully that they can be a force for betterment. Um, that's the whole point of good beer and everything else is, is just to bring betterment to, to people that are drinking it. But um, I've got a, a few more questions for you, Lucy, uh, before we uh, finish off. But um, uh, the first one is, if you could be the queen of the entire beer world for a day, what would you change? Oh, wow. Um, what would I change? Oh, my goodness. Oh, the first thing that pops into my head is the price. Now, I... I um, it's, it's a big issue in South Africa because the majority of people can't afford it. So, you know, I'll get some big, fat government subsidy or something and make it the same price as mass-produced lager. 
Because I rule it, right? So I can do that. <laughs> yes, you are the queen. You make it so. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm, I'm doing a big government, a big subsidy, and craft beer is now the same price as, as, as Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, now, if you had the opportunity to choose your very last meal and your very last beer before you depart this earth, what would they be? Uh, the beer's got to be the Death by Hops, which is the, um, the the beer that kind of started my journey in the first place. Um, just in case he's listening, it was brewed by a guy called Rob Titley, who lives in South Korea. He's a Canadian guy. He's been living there for years and years. Uh, it was an imperial IPA, and I think it's going to have to go with a big pile of cheese. Um, I've never been able to decide whether I prefer blue cheese or like a hard cheese like Gruyere, so a big pile of each. And by the end of the meal, I've, I will have decided which is the perfect pairing. <laughs> I, I, really, I like that answer. Um, uh, so uh, you have you have tremendous experience around the world with beer, um, but what is why does good beer matter to you? Um. I love uh, things that taste good. <laughs> so when people ask me why I drink craft beer, or what is craft beer, or whatever, um, I, you know, and, and sometimes people are like, oh, this brewery is not a craft brewery anymore because they've been taken over or bought into by this company. And I'm like, to me, you know what? At the end of the day, it's about what tastes good to me. Um, so I, I think that's a it's a big part of it. Yeah, you know, a lot of my friends who work in the craft beer industry actually drink a lot of mass-produced light lager. And I don't. And then they're like, oh, he's such a snob. And I'm like, no, but I drink craft beer because I like the flavor of it. And I don't like the flavor of it's like eating sliced white bread. You know, I just it's boring. Um, so a big part of it for me is, is that I just think as well, the community, it, it is it is something really, you know, I mean, I've been working in the industry for slightly less than, well, no, for, for less than 10 years, because it was about a year before I really got involved here. And um, it's just this amazing thing that you can contact um, somebody, you know, just like, let's say I was going to Slovenia and I start researching and, you know, then I contact a couple of breweries or you maybe contact someone who blogs or writes or tweets or whatever. And then when you go there, you know that this person's going to completely look after you and take you around all the breweries. Um, we, we had, so there's this couple um, who, uh, I, so, Sounds like a dodgy dating thing, but like I met them on Twitter uh, years and years ago. And it was just like they come down, they're from the UK and they come down to South Africa every year or so for a holiday. They just love the country. And so they started following me. They're very big into beer. Anyway, the first time they came down, we arranged to meet them. A friend of ours has a really cool beer bar in Cape Town. And we met them there and he's like, oh, I'm bringing a couple of beers down. They bought about 15 beers, which included a can of Pliny the Elder that he'd recently picked up, and a, a bottle, sorry, and a can of um, Heady Topper that he picked up. And he comes down also armed with, like, magazines, and here's the T-shirt I got for you. I hope it's the right size, you know, and it's like, I've never met these people before, and they're taking all this time and effort. And I'm like, in what other industry does that happen? You know, and I get people who contact me and say, oh, can you give me some recommendations? And I'm like, yeah, sure, here's recommendations, and if you want to meet up, you know, and then we meet up and we go around all the breweries and I just don't know any other industry where that happens. And, and I just think beer is this wonderful thing that people are passionate about and they want to share and they want to um, come together. And I think, yeah, it's that and the fact that it tastes good that just makes me, I, it's an industry with, 
at least on my side, very little financial gain. <laughs> but it's so much fun that you're like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll die poor and happy. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel the same way. And I've, I've, I've been fortunate to reach out to uh, different people around the world like yourself. And, uh, and I'm, I feel pretty confident that if I, if I uh, contact uh, you know my guest from Barcelona or Lyon, France, or now South South Africa, if I say, "Hey, I'm in town. You want to meet up for dinner and a beer?" and I'm, I I I would imagine that nine times out of ten, the answer will be absolutely. Well, I'll meet you there. Absolutely, yeah. There's a there's a chair and a, and a pint with your name on it when you come to Cape Town. I love it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> finally, Lucy, uh, if anyone wants to reach out to you or uh, read more of your articles, your books, uh, take some of your beer education classes, or even talk about uh, traveling and beer travel, how can they connect with you? Um, so, my blog is uh, brewmistress.co.za. People always say beer mistress, but it's supposed to be a play on brewmaster. So, it's brewmistress.co.za. Um, so, that's, you know, that sort of where I post my ramblings and rants and beer reviews and, and uh, sort of news on what's happening in Africa. Um, and then uh, also on Facebook, uh, Brewmistress on Facebook. Uh, then on Twitter, I'm just um, at Lucy Corn, L-U-C-Y-C-O-R-N-E. That's, that's where you're likely to get more chat and, and banter on there. Um, yeah, and then, I mean, on Tap Magazine, we don't have a, a, um, much on the website. So it's a print magazine. But um, you can always get in touch through there. And, you know, we're always looking for overseas kind of um, um, opinions and views of what's going on. So, yeah, but uh, Twitter or Facebook or through my blog is, is the best way. And I'm, I'm fairly responsive. I, I don't get any work done because I spend all my time on social media. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the social media trap. Um, well, and, and, yeah. and, and I may have to, <laughs> I may have to reach out and see if there's any, uh, stories you need from, uh, this side of the the world, but, um, but, uh, we can talk about that offline. Um, uh, to kind of finish off this interview, <laughs> do, do you have any last words of wisdom or anything you want to add? No, I think just, um, uh, if you're even vaguely thinking about a trip to South Africa and you're interested in beer, then, then come because there's some interesting stuff going on. Um, uh, I mean, it's an awesome country in general. Uh, I, I had traveled to about 50 countries, no, maybe about 40, 45 countries when I first came to South Africa. And it was the first place that I didn't want to leave. And so, you know, I, I moved here for a year. 10 years ago and I'm still here so if you're ever thinking oh no Africa's scary or Africa's dangerous come and visit Cape Town and you'll change your mind in about I, I give you three hours in Cape Town and you'll have changed your mind <laughs> <laughs> great um, Lucy thank you so much for coming on to my podcast and sharing everything you know about beer and, and just kind of sharing the story about um, South Africa and, and Africa in general. I, I really, uh, I really appreciate it. And, and I was just really eye opening for me. I have no idea what was happening down there. And, and I, I feel like I've got a, I've got it in now. Thank you. <laughs> it was my absolute pleasure. Thanks. All right. Have a great day. Or I should say, have a good night. Cheers. You too. Thank you. South Africa is an emerging beer culture when compared to well-established beer regions such as Belgium, Germany, the UK, and now the US. But I predict in the years and decades to come, South Africa will emerge with beer styles and flavors endemic to its place in the world of beer. 
Join us in the next episode where we visit a brewer who is making delicious single-origin beer in the heart of California's wine country. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together. But it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and visit me at goodbeermatters.net. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.